find as much information as you can out about this industry. And not only does that help you early in your career, that is something that we have to continue doing throughout your career. This isn't an industry where you can just learn it and then make your living off of it. It really is having a day-to-day commitment to learning about the market or learning what properties just sold or what came on the market or who's in the market uh, and how you can help them. Like it is a never ending quest to gain knowledge and information. Welcome to the Performance Mindset Podcast, and I'm your host, Amy Calandrino, CEO of Beyond Commercial. After a decade of providing expert commercial real estate advice and consultation to the business owners and investors I serve, I wanted to share some of the most inspiring and influential leaders I've met along the way. The goal of this podcast is to share valuable insights from these impactful individuals, as well as business and commercial real estate trends. If you want to grow, you're tuning in to the right show. Hello, friends. I'm Amy Callender, and I'm coming back to you with the latest episode of the Performance Mindset Podcast. After a decade of advising some of the top business owners and investors, I've met some really impactful and influential leaders along the way. Today, I'm super excited to have on the show Chad Griffiths. I actually have met him as we're in the same industry, commercial real estate. He is does industrial real estate like I do as well. In fact, he's been doing it since 2005. He is also an SIOR like I am, which if you don't know that, it's like having a board certification in commercial real estate. So that is a great designation to have. He has completed hundreds of deals. In fact, we were trying to tabulate it before we started up. And we really think it could probably be a thousand, if not more. Like I said, I collaborated with him before on his industrial real estate show. And that's how we got to meet. But he's been hosting that for quite some time. He's also been noted uh, by Globe Street as one of the most uh, influential industrial influencers in the country. So super Cool to have you on the show today, Chad. Welcome. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Amy. And it's always a pleasure to talk to people with so much in common. Like you said, both in industrial real estate, we both have SAORs, we both have podcasts. So it's an absolute honor to be here. Yeah. So talk about how did you get into industrial real estate? And now you've been doing this for almost two decades. Talk to us a little bit about the journey. Yeah, it was purely accidental. So I I was buying and selling some houses with some friends of mine. This is probably 20 years ago now. And we didn't really do great, but we didn't do poorly. Uh, And I just got the itch to do real estate. So I became a licensed residential agent in 2004, did it for a year and just really just didn't like it. It wasn't my cup of tea. I just didn't like being on call all the time in your evenings and your weekends. And there's not a lot of loyalty to it. So I wanted, I was attracted to commercial real estate and I I originally thought I'd be working in office towers or in retail, the, the ones that everybody's familiar with. But the office that I ended up joining was heavily focused in industrial. I knew very little about industrial real estate at all at the time, but just that's who all the mentors that were there and all the experienced brokers were in industrial. So purely by accident, I stumbled into it and that was 17, 18 years ago now. And I I like to think that was the best accident that could have happened because I went from knowing very little about it to reading about it all the time. I call myself the 
arguably the world's biggest industrial real estate nerd uh because yes. i just i i completely geek out about it I've, I've like sourced old books about it every book that has even has industrial in the title i've probably bought and read so it's yeah it's really gone from something i knew nothing about and had no interest in really to being a complete life passion of mine where i just absolutely love everything about it that's amazing and chad if you didn't know is in north america as well i'm in florida and you are in where Edmonton, I'm, right? Yeah, I'm Western Canada, so it's yeah. it's not we're we're a market of about a million people. So it's yeah. I would probably put us on par with like Oklahoma City uh, in terms of population and size of the industrial market. What I talk about even on my own podcast is uh, everything to do largely North American industrial. There's just so much overlap. Like what happens in your market in Florida is probably going to happen in Texas. It's probably going to have remnants happening in California or in Western Canada. So I, I follow North American industrial real estate quite extensively uh, in addition to my local market as well. Uh, Just, you need to be a local market expert in this business, but I also do follow what's happening in the market, North American, sometimes even worldwide. Yeah. Well, I think it all kind of, I've learned, relates to to each other. One of my favorite people to hear about, you know, supply chain and industrial trends and, and those types of things is Casey Conway, who's the chief economist for uh, CCIM. And it was so interesting. He was talking a few years about, you know, we're going to start using the rivers again and all the, how, how supply chains coming back, you know, stateside into North America. For those that aren't familiar with your geography, since you like to geek out about industrial, can you talk about what might make your your market kind of unique versus, you know, probably like my market or, or how, how what's what's the dominant type of, you know, industrial and activities that you see there? Yeah, great question. And just on Casey Conway, he's one of my favorite people in all of real estate. Like he he is an absolute genius. Uh, so people should follow Casey Conway. Our, our market, so we're heavy oil and gas. So you can almost call us the the Texas of of Canada. Uh, okay. But the difference that I would say that makes us unique from Texas, and not necessarily in a good way, but just in a unique way is that we we're primarily focused on oil and gas. Whereas okay. even Houston, it's a lot more diversified. There's a, obviously a big presence of, of oil and gas in Houston's market, but it, Houston's much more diversified, lot, many more industries. We're almost like a one trick pony. So we ride the ebbs and flows of the underlying commodity. So if oil prices go up, our market soars. If oil prices go down, our market tanks. So you can appreciate that as oil went to $150 a barrel in 2013, 2014, our market was crazy. We were sub 1% vacancy, crazy high lease rates. And then as oil went from $150 a barrel to at one point, I think it was 2016, it actually went to negative $37 a barrel, uh, which is just a lot to do with uh, futures and derivatives. And it was a market manipulation to some extent, but we really ride that high. So whereas a lot of markets, and I like, and I'm sure you're the same, Amy, is you delineate industrial into like warehousing and manufacturing and industrial is a fairly broad term, but those, those, there's completely different markets like warehousing and the logistics, like the Amazons and the big distribution centers that we see is completely different from a manufacturing property where, where things are made or produced or assembled. 
in our market, we're heavily, heavily disproportionate to most markets. And from what I've seen, most most markets are probably, in, at, at least now with this big uprising of warehousing space, it's probably more like 70, 80% distribution, warehousing space and 20% manufacturing. Wow. We're the inverse of that. So we've got a ton of manufacturing space and limited distribution space. So it's it creates challenges uh, for sure, but there also can be a lot of opportunities. If, if oil prices go up, we're very well positioned for a boom in the market. Whereas the last 10 years, just mostly as a result of oil prices, our market's been pretty flat. Which it was just surprising because there's not many industrial markets over the last 10 years that have been flat. I'm glad you brought that up because I just always curious about other other markets. But yeah, it's it is completely like opposite. Cause I'm thinking I founded my brokerage in 2010 and I was just really getting, you know, full-time into it. Cause I a lot of people know I transitioned out of law. Yep. And I remember in like 13, 14, 15, like, you know, we were not like, it, 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 there was a lot of available warehousing. <laughs> you could have gotten them for, you know, I can think of stuff that's close to $200 a square foot now. And it was like maybe like $50, like a square foot. And you could like rent something for like $4 a square foot where it's now like $12, $13. And, you know, in the, in the main area, it's, it's just completely different versus, you know, that was like your peak time. And now you're in a completely different state state now where you're more level and we are just like trucking along here in Orlando, no pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) You're in a, I think Florida is such a great market too, because I I think one of the big drivers of industrial is population growth. So with population growth comes more spending and people need warehouses. So it's a, that is a very simplified way of describing it. But I I like Florida from the standpoint of, of just huge population migration. So yeah, your market is booming. My market is flat. So it's just different markets at different times. It's incredible to see the the population growth here. Like, and, um, you know, we talked a lot about it on your show, like rooftops lead and then, you know, commercial follows like an order of like retail and then officing and then generally industrial is like the last to like catch up. Although we do have some spec inventory here, but it's made it that you could go out to like dinner somewhere and not have to worry about a reservation if you're in the non-touristy areas of town. No, no, no. You really have to be like intentional and think about like, where am I going to go out for dinner on Friday or Saturday night? And you have to think about it a few weeks ahead of time. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's a good problem to have. So it keeps me, keeps me busy. So since we're talking about industrial, you have your industrial real estate show. How long have you had that? What made you think about starting it? I, I think it's awesome too that you have a live format. I'm not that brave. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that comes with a certain amount of stress too. Uh, so I started. I originally started doing recorded episodes. Uh, so it it the seeds were planted when we went through the pandemic in 2020 and and i'm sure that this was all over the world that there's just a general slowdown for at least a few weeks if not a month and where nothing happened like there is i i couldn't get people to to make any decisions it was completely dead and i just like april 2020 yes Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah 
And I was, I, I just couldn't sit idly. Like I, I'm just not one of those people that can just sit back and relax. I get too anxious and I just always want to do things. So I'd, I'd always had the idea of doing some kind of videos or something on industrial real estate. So it originally started by just setting up a YouTube channel where I talked about industrial real estate. And eventually I thought, well, you know what? I could get some experts on here to fill in the gaps on what I don't know. So right. today I interviewed an architect uh, and he, he just talked about all the different things to do with industrial architecture. And I've had lawyers and other brokers like yourself on, and I've had property owners and developers. And I just thought if if I can add some value to the community by having these experts come on. It could be, it could be informative and, and just fun and a lot of benefit for me as well. Like even just getting to know you is, has been great. Yeah. Because now I know someone in Orlando that, that I didn't know six months ago. So there's been a lot of benefit for me. I started very basic. Like it was just my laptop and I spoke into the mic in the laptop and yeah. the webcam on the, on there. And it's evolved to, I moved it to do live last year and I have a podcast producer now that helps me with all that and moderating the questions that come in. And it's just, it's a different format where it you, people really have to think on their feet, uh, but you get very genuine answers, right? Uh, yeah. So they, they don't have time to, to necessarily come up with an, with an answer to the question, but I'm generally giving them questions that they're experts about. So if, if I were to ask you a question about Orlando industrial and what the market is, you're going to be able to give me that information very easily. So I'm not trying to give them gotcha questions or trying to stump them. I really want to ask them questions about what they're experts in already. And it's just, it's been fun. It's uh, it's very niche, as you know, like not everyone's interested in industrial real estate, uh, but those that are become hyper, hyper-focused on it. So yeah, I've, I've, the coolest thing I think is that I've met people now all over the world. I even yeah. interviewed a guy in China. So all over the world, I've made some great friendships and, and business contacts now that I didn't have. So it's it's really been a win-win where I think I'm creating some some good content for the community that they can learn from these experts. Uh, and then from the benefit that I'm getting is just building my network with awesome people. Yeah. Uh, one of my really, really good friends is uh, Delee Becker. And she's in Texas and she is really active on social media and she always says givers get. And so it's, I found, I found having my own podcast and I'm sure you found too, from having your show, just like how just giving all that information out to the community, how beneficial it is. So completely agree. Yeah. It's, it, it goes a long way because it doesn't come across as like an advertisement or a commercial. It really is just providing as much value as you can. And then if people get something from it, I, th I think that they appreciate it and it, it just comes full circle. So I, I think that that's the best way to approach social media in general is yeah. go approach it with a, an audience facing mindset that you're trying to add value to the audience as opposed to just having to be all about me. Uh, oh. And it's, it's worked some, somewhat well for me so far. Well, what I find is interesting too, being on your show or just even having my own podcast is that then I think people get to like, kind of like know you and you get to have, perhaps it's just a digital relationship. Like you have a phone call with someone or then a Zoom call, but then um, I, I think it's really interesting and people can figure out whether, well, Chad's the kind of person I'd want to talk to about industrial real estate or not, or like whether they want to talk to me, Amy, about like business 
you know, industrial down here, like in Orlando, or whether they want, you know, consulting for their business or whatever. I think, I think it's cool too, because you get a flavor for someone before you like met them. So, yeah. I've had that comment so many times where I'll meet, I'll talk to someone, whether I meet them in person or I have a Zoom call with them. I've heard it numerous times that people have said that they felt like they already knew me uh, because you're, you're spot on is that they, if they watch an hour video or perhaps they watched numerous hour videos or listen to podcasts, they're going to feel a connection because they're, they're going to feel that you've already talked to them. So right. I've, I've had that comment a, a number of times. Yeah. And I think it's cool too. Like I'm going to use Delise quote again too. And she's like, and if you don't like me, then then don't, don't call me. So I think it's also like a good thing too. The people that are calling you are like, okay, this is a cool guy. And then those that aren't are like, then they'll pass. So I love that quote is if you don't like me, don't call me. That It's so true is we can't win everything. Right. We can't, we can't be likable for everybody. There's going to be just some people that, that, uh, sh- want to don't want anything to do with you they just don't like your personality they don't like your style they don't like my white shirt they don't like your red glasses there's any number of yeah. reasons that someone just might not like like us but we're not trying to win everything right. we're just trying to create connections provide some value and there there are going to be people that like you there are going to be people that don't like you just real funny i kind of note on that as well because i take that same approach as even when i end my podcasts and I've got to be the only person on YouTube doing this. As I say, if you like this video, uh, hit the thumbs up button. If you didn't like it, hit the thumbs down button. And I can't imagine there's many people asking the audience oh. to hit the thumbs down button. And occasionally some people do. But my whole idea is if you, I, I genuinely do want that feedback. If you didn't like it, then and then I'd like to know that. So hit the thumbs down button. Uh, and I think that goes to that same, same uh, line of thinking that your friend has there is, if you don't want to call me, don't call me. It's fine. But I, if you do want to call me, that'd be great too. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that is interesting. I, I had the opportunity to record another podcast today. So of course you guys are airing like at separate times, but he works with a lot of different CEOs and he, he was saying, oh, like you're open to getting the thumbs down button. And a lot of people are afraid of failure or getting negativity, but I think that's what really like shapes us and having, he's worked with over 30,000 CEOs. And he was saying to me, that was what he's now found to be like the characteristic is those that have had the setbacks or gotten the negativity that they're able to like evolve and grow. And I think that that is, that's pretty you know, it's it's cool to think because I mean, I think sometimes people, they want to have this Pinterest perfect life and everything is great, but it's not like it's not, it's hard. It's hard. And it's, it, it takes work and, and there is a lot of failure, but I, I think also to, to his point, 30,000 CEOs is astonishing. I agree. How, how are you going to get better and how are you going to evolve and, and go to the next level if you're not actually getting honest feedback. So yeah, it's, I, I welcome feedback of all kinds. I, I say, if someone wants to make fun of my shirt or make fun of my voice or my hair or to tell me, like, I'm, I'm open, I'm an open book. I don't, I'm not, I don't have that thin skin where I'm going to take offense to it. If anything, I might, if enough people say they don't like my shirt, then I'm going to change my shirt. So it's, uh, I, I do like that feedback. I think it is, it is helpful. I am a recovering perfectionist, I, I must admit, but now I uh, I have gotten completely over that. And I realized that done is better than perfect. And, and then to just get on with whatever it is I'm doing, and then I can learn from it later on. 
but just, just do it and don't worry about it. And it will just make life so much more easy. So 100% agree. And yeah. that's why I, I like the live format too, is that it's not perfect. I say stupid things all the time. Like it's, I, I even like, I've even said that as long as I keep a ratio of like nine to 10 things that aren't stupid to every one stupid thing that I say, I'd like to be in that wheelhouse. Cause I think that's a good ratio, but it's, it's very, it's genuine, right? It's because you can't, you can't fake it. it. It comes out. If I say something stupid, it's there and people can call me on it. But I think that it, that just is that done is better than perfect. And in its real raw sense of doing it live. So that's one of the, one of the reasons I thought it'd be fun to do. I got off of your show and I literally was like, what? for the rest of the day, it was like a jolt of like energy doing it live. There was definitely much more like adrenaline. I really like doing my podcast recordings, but I definitely felt a lot of adrenaline like afterwards. It was pretty cool. And then not to mention like, then like I'm just having like boop, 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 these emails like coming through and I'm like, Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. So like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is very cool. And I'm the same way. Like I, I, I've done a hundred episodes now, I think yeah. and I still get off the interview and I'm just excited. I'm like, I, I love that. I feel so good. I, I'm excited right now with this. I love yeah. talking to doing these kind of shows. Cause I just, I feel like that invigoration of, of just talking with someone that's like-minded and has yeah. so many similarities and just have a great conversation like we are. I, I love it. I get so fired up for this. And, and I think more people should be doing podcasts. I, I really do think either starting a podcast, which is a lot more work, or even just being a guest on a, on a show, exactly as you said, is that it fires you up after you get so excited after getting off that call. Well, I feel like I know myself even better, both personally and professionally now, as I've been through this podcast journey, because like, I just think I'm learning so much and it's evolved. And I think it's made me better at asking really good questions from the clients that I work with and like understanding their needs and how their business is going to work. I just, I feel like I am a a hell of a lot better of a broker than I ever was. Not that I wasn't a good broker before, but I feel like I'm like a million times better because I know what questions to ask. I 100% agree with that too. Is it? And for two years that I've been doing it and I've, I've been doing it for a long time already, I definitely yeah. feel like I've become a better broker just by, get, like you said, getting to know yourself. Excuse me, I got a frog in my throat. Yeah, um, I know. I those... sick last week. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I must just be going around right now. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. It's it does. There, there's so many benefits to do it. It's just like, getting to know who you are yourself and uh, getting to meet people and 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 that content can live on the internet essentially forever. So I, I kind of equate it to it's like putting breadcrumbs out there uh, that you yeah. never know who's going to find one of those breadcrumbs and then reach out to you and and maybe hire you or uh, leads to another opportunity. It's just that there's so many reasons in my mind that, that to do podcasting and to create content like that. It's interesting. I went back the other day and I think I did my first, like I, I have what's called beyond your space needs because that's my brand. And I started in January 2017 and my hair was actually brown then. And then it went blonde for a little while. And now I'm back to the same colors when I started that, but I go back to it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And I'm like, who's all watching these? Cause they get more views and I'm like, Oh, you know, it's constantly evolving, but it was, it's interesting to, to kind of go back to like the first ones that I did. So. 
Yeah, I, that maybe that's something I should do sometime as well. But I, I'd be the same way. I'd be like, oh man, the ratio of stupid things to non-stupid things I would have said back then was probably 50-50. So I don't know if I, if I should go back and watch those or not. What made me think to record this one on a roof with the wind like going? Like, why did I do that? Like, and, but it's okay. Like, I think it's so much nicer now that we have like Zoom and all these other things. Um, you were talking about all the people that you've met and this journey. And so I saw one of your recent collaborations, uh, but talk, talk to me about some of your favorite collaborations that you've done recently. Yeah. So it's been very cool. And, and I like to think that as the podcast grows, you just have more credibility in the industry and, and you can have that confidence to reach out to someone. So a few that jumped to mind right off the bat, uh, I interviewed the former CEO of Prologis, uh, Walt Rakovich. Uh, so a wow. CEO of a Fortune 500 company, largest industrial property wow. owner in the world. Uh, yeah, uh, and he was so awesome. Like he gave yeah. me an hour of his time, uh, where like to get an hour of time of a former uh, S&P 500 CEO is like wow. very, very difficult. But he was so genuine and uh, grateful with his time. That was a really cool discussion. And then one w- recent one as well, which was really cool, was Bob Knack- Knackle who's uh, arguably the most successful broker in the world. He's done 20 some billion dollars worth of transactions. He's well-known. He's he sold his previous firm to Cushman and Wakefield for a hundred million dollars. He's, he's the real deal when it comes to like being a power broker. Yeah. And he, same thing. I reached out to him and he was happy to come on and I spent an hour with him and now we follow each other on social media and I'd like to say that we're we're uh, internet buddies now but that all came from just reaching out to him and having a, that platform of a of a podcast uh so yeah a few few other ones that that are like that like ultra high profile but I also just love talking to even like a, a uh, an architect that I talked to today uh, based out of Dallas who's not a famous architect in in any sense of being like a Frank Lloyd Wright or anything, uh, but just a really knowledgeable guy. So it's been cool. Yeah. It's the opportunity to collaborate and interview people all the way from just a local market expert, all the way up to Walt Rakovich or Bob Knackle. Bob Knackle has been very exciting for me. Yeah. I first met Bob Knackle actually in person. I don't think he had much of a social media presence it was November 2019, and Rod Santamassimo yep. had one of his conferences here, like in Orlando. And I was actually nine months pregnant with my first baby. So, like, I got this big thing. And they started the seminar early in the morning. And then Bob came for like an after dinner thing, like drinks and like questions. Yep. I think they talked until like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So, I'm like, nine months like pregnant and like I stayed up for I don't know how many hours like straight just learning about commercial real estate because I'm a complete nerd and then come to find out like the next morning I'm like I don't feel very good I went to the hospital like you're in labor so I was uh that was my first meeting but I like I so wanted to hear what he said and had to like stay up and but I had to skip the second day I stayed (laughs) up a little too late and they're like yeah you're you'll be ready to go. You're starting like early labor. And I'm like, Oh, well, that sucks. But at least I got to, to meet and like hear the whole like story and all this. Thing. But that goes back to what like my friend Delise says though, givers like get, and he is like a generous person with his time, even as busy as he are. And so like, 
I'm going to make that same commitment. Like if I ever make it as big as Bob <laughs> Mackle, which I probably won't because I'm in Orlando, which is a much smaller market, but uh, I'll, I'll always still like give back for someone that wants to like collaborate and stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, I agreed. I, I, if if Bob Knackle can do it, and a super busy guy with so much on the go, and he's so ultra successful, if he can give back and yeah. provide value to people, I mean, there's no reason why anyone can't. So I, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. I think sometimes people get like they they feel like they're too important, and I think like when you start to like not have the humility. And like, remember that you were a broker or just starting a business or just starting investing, whatever, like your journey is in life. I think if you start to like, forget that, then you're going to have some problems, I think. So I agreed. So I think, yeah, I think it has to go with the humility. And like, he also does what's really interesting. I feel like he always like pays back to like where like he started. And I think that's, does keep you like humble. And he thinks back to like when he first started his brokerage. So yeah, and he he has every reason to be a very arrogant and and self praising broker just because yeah. of his success, but he's not. Like he's just such a genuine, likable person. So yeah, amazing, amazing man. Yeah, awesome. So like, how is basically being a broker, whether you're like on your own or within a broker shop, you basically are your own business. Like, how do how is it different than you thought it was going to be? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point is I I didn't necessarily think it'd be a business within a business, uh, which that's what we're essentially doing is there's, we're in a commission-based business. So it's uh, we're, the revenue that we generate is what we earn. And if you don't earn any revenue, there's no paycheck at the end of the day. I, I think what I underestimated at the beginning was just how sophisticated and complex the, the clients would be. And I, I, I appreciate that commercials, you're going to be dealing with businesses and there's going to be businesses of all size, but some of the companies are just remarkably sophisticated in how they underwrite properties or how they go through their various processes on doing it. And sometimes it can be very lengthy just because those yes. processes can be so complex. So the a transaction can take several months, if not several years before they find the right property and, and matches all of their processes. That was a big learning experience for me. And then the other thing that I'd say is that the competition is fierce, not in a mean sense or in a bad sense, but just in the standpoint that our competitors are all very sophisticated and competent people. Whereas I came from residential, which there's, I don't want to denigrate the residential industry by any means, but there's, there's people in there that they did it as like a hobby. There's some people that would just do it part-time and it it showed because they weren't professional. Whereas the vast majority of brokers that I've met in commercial are very smart, sophisticated men and women who are very good at their job. And that, so there's not as much competition, like residential is probably a factor of, for an, the average amount of agents to uh, commercials, probably 10 to one. So there's a lot more competitors in, in residential, but the quality of the competition in commercial and industrial is fierce. So that I, I think I underestimated that as well. It's just our, our competitors are very, very good at what they do. So it causes all of us to have to step up our game as well. You know, it's interesting you say that. And if you're not very good and you don't geek out on it, then you're not going to last. And I think that those that are are good at their craft, I think that there, even though there's all this competition, I think there's a lot of collaboration 
I am not the top industrial broker in Orlando, but perhaps, you know, one day I will be. But the guy that's actually number one, I found out from someone the other day, it's like, yeah, Amy's a really good broker. And, and like, you know, when we do deals together, whether he's on the other side or which side we're on, it's, I feel like, at least for me, we're pretty collaborative here in the Orlando market. And like, you know, we know who the good people are that we can like trust. And it's, it's fierce. We're off, obviously all like fighting to get different assignments and properties and, you know, those types of things. But then when it comes to like doing the deal, I feel like it's pretty collaborative. Yeah, Is that what you find? Yes. And it's such a unique industry that we do have to compete with each other for business. So if you're trying to get a listing or if you're trying to represent a tenant, you might be competing with five or six other brokers uh, to get that business. And that can be a very tough competition. But when one person gets that business, all of a sudden we cooperate with each other. Right. So we compete <laughs> yes. against each other for to to earn the business. And yes. then we have to cooperate with each other to get the business done, which is just a, a, there's no other industry that I can think of that would have that same structure. Yeah. Yeah. I do some, I do another asset type other than industrial, but I just got like a, I got like a gem, like listing, like in like the heart of one of our like most prized like cities next to Orlando and winter park. And, I know there were other like brokers involved, but like I like won and then, but now like everybody's like, okay, I have this buyer, I have this buyer, you know, and whether it's like industrial or even other asset classes, it's like, you know, we're all trying really hard to get the listing or get the tenant rep assignment or whatever. But then once it is, it's like, oh, you have a tenant, Amy, you want that tenant? Okay. Well, I have this property over here. And then like, it's like, okay, let's come together. Kumbaya. And let's, let's get the deal done. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, that is such an interesting element of the business that it, it, if you're an outsider and you hadn't considered being in commercial real estate, that comes at you pretty fast, that that observation. But it, it, most people wouldn't know that that's, it's that competitive element and then also a collaborative element uh, simultaneously. While still zealously advocating for our clients. So I don't want people to think Absolutely. like we're like we're bros over here and like we're not like, but we're totally you know, I, you know, you have to beat up each other, like sometimes too, like if representing the tenant and you see something like gnarly in the lease and something's supposed to be fixed and it's not fixed, you know, share of maybe the park or whatever it is, like you have to like beat each other up, but then at the end of the day, you know, you can come back together again. Yeah. That's a very important distinction is that we're not colluding right. to just in the effort of getting a deal done at the expense of our clients, but we're more just cooperating where, other agents will or brokers will want to work with you and they'll take your call and they'll they'll have conversations so it's yeah there's definitely a difference between cooperating and colluding yeah well i was like i think i've had clients have the misconception before because i'm being like very nice to the other brokers or we're very collegiate but i'm like no don't mistake my collegiateness for you know like that i'm still like if something's not right i am going to be you know intense about making sure that we get, get this deal right for you. So that's yeah. a very important message. Yeah. So, but no, people, some people think that cause like, I'm like, hey, and then we're like, wait, like these people are like friends or like, they still looking out. No, we, we totally are. We're just, I think we're just professional. And I think that does differentiate it from residential is I, I do see some cattiness. I'm talking to one of my friends right now that just got licensed and I think one of her friends wanted her really bad to like join like her brokerage and like, they're not going to join that brokerage and they're just like, ah, like really like, like it's very like personal versus I think commercial real estate and in industrial in particular, it's not 
like that. Like, it's like, oh, okay, that person moved here or they're going to go here. And it's not like a big thing. Yeah. And it's a small business too. Like it's, there's just not as many commercial or industrial brokers out there. So just by nature of, of doing deals with other brokers, you get some familiarity, Uh, but yeah, I really like your point though, is that you can be friendly with another broker, but that doesn't mean you're forsaking your duty as a, as a broker to represent your client's best interest. That that's a very important distinction to make. I was trying to get this warehouse listing too. And another one of my industrial friends like called me. He's like, I wanted to let you know that I want it. And I'm like, <laughs> he's like, but they're really close. And I'm, and I was like, well, what, what made it happen? And they said, oh, well, I, I knew their CPA or something like that. Like he had something that like edged me out. I'm like, oh, I'm like, but, uh, but at the end of the day, then when I, if I bring a buyer there, we're both going to like represent like our interests, but you know, we're still nice to each other, which is good. So. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite project that you've worked on? Maybe help develop something or maybe one of your early listings that was really challenging. What do you think that would be? Yeah, there's one that comes to mind where I had a tenant group and wasn't a huge user. They were 25,000 square feet or so, and we couldn't find them anything. So I approached a developer that, uh, that I knew and we ultimately... I came to an agreement where we found a three acre parcel of land and they did a roughly 60,000 square foot build to suit. And uh-huh. one of the, the 20, the tenant took 25,000 and it left 35,000 square feet or so that we ended up leasing to two other groups. So it wasn't, it wasn't a massive project. Like there's, uh-huh. there's deals happening every single day in North America that are gigantic deals. So right. in the context of that, it wasn't a huge deal, but right. it still was a really cool sale where we got to sell the land. Then we got to be involved in the build the suit on the, on the building. We got to put the one tenant in there and then we filled two other tenants in there. And that developer has a very soft spot in his, in his heart for us, just because we were able to put that together essentially from nothing. So I think that yeah. that's one of the coolest parts about our business is that we can really shape projects. And there's yeah. also deals that are very simple where you're just doing a, 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 a lease. Uh, but one like that was really cool. Just being involved in a very complex process from start to finish and seeing that project be a big success was, that was really exciting. That one. I'm working with a user now and we're still going back and forth. We're going to do a build suit, find something, you know, already like existing, but it is cool that you were able like, I couldn't find this 25,000 square feet in the market uh let me make it appear <laughs> like, <laughs> like, i'm a magic wand you kind of thing. Your, <laughs> and then you made yourself three deals then out of it so yeah wait and no four it, like the it, acquisition yeah the, the three leases yeah and i've done a number of deals with that developer since too so uh, with I, partly that deal was it was just it, that was a very lucrative deal for that developer like he came out really well ahead on that so yeah. in, in addition to that we've they've brought us on to do numerous other projects so we've done a lot of work with that which is large part because of that one development we did with them yeah it's amazing i think sometimes people wonder because i'm a i'm my own boutique shop and like how did you get that person like Wait, where did they come in? Like, sometimes like I'm doing things that are like smaller, but I can see because I work with people that are more like a growth mindset or like growth oriented. And you can eventually grow your own like stable of, of clients. So, mm-hmm. and then you grew a bunch more deals out of that one 
deal. So yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons I love this business is you, you can really foster those relationships and get a lot of repeat business just from one single client that you've performed for. So th- there's a there's a lot more loyalty I've found in this industry than uh, my experience being in residential, where it's it's you're almost more of like a commodity where whoever's available at that in any given time is the one that gets used. You can build a lot of loyalty in this business. Yeah. What's interesting is we're talking about getting into the industry. Do you have any advice for anyone if they're thinking about doing industrial real estate or commercial real estate? What would you, what would be like a good piece of advice, like, or something like you wish you would have known? I wish I would have talked to more people in advance. Uh, and I, I almost settled on the one company that I talked to, uh, thinking again that I was going to do office or retail. And I settled on industrial very quickly. If I could go back and do it all over again, I would just want to talk to as many people as I could uh, just to get their insights into the market and see what what perhaps there's a brokerage firm that's doing really well right now and has a lot of market share and they're looking to grow or or what the state of the landscape is. I, I think I would just spend more time being inquisitive and asking as many questions as I could and getting to know as many people as I as I could and then make the best decision you can with all that information available. I rushed rushed into it and uh, I'm very grateful that I did. I I'm I wouldn't change the outcome by any means, but I think that there's a huge degree of luck. The fact that I threw one dart and that one dart happened to hit a hit the bullseye. I, instead, I think a much better practice would be like throw a whole bunch of darts and then pick which one you think is going to be the best one. I got very lucky uh, in how yeah how I did it. I would just, I would ask way more questions and try to meet way more people uh, before making a decision again. Well, I also think one thing I wish I would have done too, like early on is have gotten a coach earlier. Like I didn't get a coach like right away. And I didn't really, I having someone who maybe coached a lot of different people to get their perspective. I think I really sold myself short on what I could have done. And I probably could have done more if I had a coach. I think great point. And it's similar to you. I did get a coach a few years in and, and I think having that coach early would have accelerated that learning curve and, and getting yourself up to being a pr- productive broker sooner. So a hundred, yeah, I agree with you completely that having a coach would be <laughs> beneficial, especially at the beginning. Yeah, it, I would, it would have really benefited me. And I think we talked both about like having CCIM and SIOR being very helpful uh, for us, especially the SIOR. Yeah. And, and I got my CCM pretty early as well. And I think that just helped have a, a little bit of extra credibility uh, in the market that yeah. you're serious about it. You went through the motions, you learned some stuff. Yeah. I think that that's also very helpful. Yeah. Well, very cool. I know we've been going for some time. I want to make sure like if there's anything you want to talk about and that maybe we didn't cover or otherwise or bring up. Uh, I, I would say if, if anyone's listening and they're just curious, find as much information as you can out about this industry. Yeah. And not only does that help you early in your career, but that that is something that we have to continue doing throughout your career is that this this isn't an industry where you can just learn it and then make your living off of it. It really is having a day-to-day commitment to learning about the market or learning what properties just sold or what came on the market or who's in the market, how you can help them. Like it is a never ending quest to gain knowledge and information. So 
I, I, I think anybody that's either considering uh, an industry like this or is already in it and just wondering how they can take it to the next level, just have that curiosity where you just want to ask more questions, learn more things, meet more people. And I, I think that that really is uh, a, a simple way of tackling a complex business, but it also in itself gives a lot of the answers to the problems that you have just because you're asking questions. So I guess in a roundabout way, if you don't ask the question, it's very hard to get the answer. So I, I, I would say, and, and I'm sure you're the same on this too, Amy, is that I, I'm, I'm happy to be a resource. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd like to think that my, my channel provides a lot of information, but I'm always happy to chat with people and I'm, like I was, I'm sure you are. So if someone does want to reach out, uh, if there's something that we didn't cover, I'm I'm a pretty open, transparent book. I've, I've said before, there's no question that I won't answer. Might not always be a good answer or a smart answer, uh, but I'll always give an answer yeah. to a question. So uh, if someone wants to reach out and just uh, 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 ask a question, I'm more than happy to to have that chat. And then how do people reach you? What's the best way? Is it Twitter, LinkedIn, email? How do you, how's usually the easiest way to get a hold of you? Yeah, I, I'm probably most active on YouTube. Just that's where I put a oh, lot of my yeah, focus. Um, so leaving me a comment on YouTube is is yeah. great. Uh, but I'm also on Twitter uh, and LinkedIn and my email, which I, I'll I'll say and maybe you can just put it in the description. It's just yeah. uh, Griffiths uh, G R I F F I T H S C R E at gmail dot com, and that's probably the that's probably the easiest way because I I do try to reply to all my uh, emails every day. Yeah, but if you watch any of his episodes and shameless plug, you can watch the one with me in it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Definitely, we should put a link. To like that, was a, too, uh, that was a fun conversation. It was. It was an update, like on this whole like insurance like debacle here, like in Florida. Is it's still all over the place? I'm really? closing on an investment deal like this week, and. One quote was 10,000 and another one was like 15,000. Another one was like five. And like, it's, it's just like all over the place. But then we figured out the five was like very like bare bones, obviously. But it, I, I think some insurance carriers are quoting prices that are so high just not to even like maybe insure here. I, I don't know what it is. So it's, it's more, more will be revealed, I guess, in the coming months. So that'll be a big trend to, to watch going forward. Because it really will affect things, you know, as we talked about. But, well, I really appreciate it. Looking forward to continuing to stay in contact with you, Chad. It's always a pleasure. And this is Amy Calandrino signing off. Please be sure to like, subscribe, share, download all the different things so we can continue to bring you these episodes. Thanks again, Amy. Thanks for having me on.